11. We begin this morning at verse 15 from our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 15 down through verse 20 is where the message for today will come. The text reads as follows. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Subject for this morning is spiritual deceivers. Deceivers. The first spiritual deceiver in human history was that old serpent, the devil. He deceived Eve into believing a lie about God and his word. That tactic by the evil one is not surprising. For wherever God plants his truth, Satan comes along with his falsehood, with his deception. False prophets and false teachers replicated Satan's deceitful practice in the history of the nation Israel, God's chosen people. A selection of Old Testament texts bear ample witness to this spiritual malignancy that was perpetrated against the chosen people. For example, Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 14 says this, Then the Lord said to me, speaking to Jeremiah, that the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them, nor commanded them, nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divination, futility, and the deception of their own mind. End of quote. This is a clear divine disavowal of legitimacy of evil men who claim to speak in Yahweh's name. They were not authorized by him, nor commissioned by him. In fact, they made up things from their own depraved, darkened, sinful, fallen minds. The next verse, Jeremiah 14, verse 15, indicates that they repeatedly contradicted what Yahweh said through the true prophet of God, Jeremiah. A spiritual red flag ought to be raised in our minds whenever we hear a message from one claiming to speak for God, but whose message is at variance with the word of God, the written word. Don't buy what everybody's selling. You have to have an understanding of what God's word says, truly what it says, so that you can sift through that which comes is not from him. Today, false prophets and false teachers proliferate. They're on TV, radio, social media. They write books. They speak from pulpits and from university lecterns. They're all over the place, disseminating in the name of God, as they claim, lies about him. The question may be raised as to why do people gravitate to men and nowadays women like this? 
One answer is found in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31. It says this, The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule on their own authority, and my people love it so. They love, get this, easy lies over hard truths. The easy lies in Jeremiah's day, spiritual prosperity was going to be their reality, their will, well-being. They didn't want to hear the hard truths concerning coming judgment because of their unrepentance. It's the way people are. They want to hear soft, soothing messages. Messages that tickle their ears. Messages that don't confront them in their sin. Messages that don't represent God as he truly portrays himself in the word of God. And there are always men and women around who will Speak lies to those who want to hear those things. People in Jeremiah's day said, no, no, there can't be a judgment because the temple, the temple, the temple. And in Jeremiah 7, they thought because God's temple is there, they were safe from the wrath of God. Though they had constantly and repeatedly for centuries sinned against him. Men don't want accountability. Men don't want to have to answer for their life. R.C. Spohl writes, quote, Modern man is betting his eternal destiny. There is no final judgment. That is a tragically fatal mistake. End of quote. Sproul is right. Men in this day, just like they always have, that somehow, someway, we'll get by. There won't be judgment. It's not going to come. God loves us. God indeed is a God of love, but his love is a holy love. You can't separate his holiness from his love. His love is he provides a way out of his divine wrath, but you have to come in repentance. But if you refuse that, then you will experience not his love, but his judgment. So people buy into false prophets. They love their deceit. In fact, they, they want to be lied to. They like illusions. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 9 through 11. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to seers, you must not see visions, and to prophets, you must not prophesy to us right. Speak to us pleasant words, prophesy illusions. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. End of quote. It's Isaiah chapter 30, verses 9 through 11. They said, lie to me. I don't want to hear about him, God. I don't want to hear about the Holy One of Israel. This is a profoundly sad statement about people when they don't want the Holy One of Israel, when they don't want to hear God's instruction, when they want to turn away from it and say, you preachers, stop preaching about him and his truth. Give me some pleasant words. Give me some comfort. I love my lifestyle. I don't want to hear about God. Rather, give me some spiritually poisonous words. They won't call them that, but that's what they are. That is the mark of human depravity. 
It is the power of sin that has captured and controls the heart and mind. When people say, I don't want God, I want lies, I don't want truth. Spiritual sickness is what that is. And people prefer that to spiritual health. And this is not an ancient problem. I've already mentioned it. It's a problem in the 21st century. There is among churchgoers, professing Christians, a desire for false prophets and false teachers. Those people have a ready audience, those false prophets and false teachers, uh, in many churches. They'll flock to them. It's not an ancient problem. It just didn't happen in Israel. It happens in modern-day West. In fact, Paul forewarned us. He forewarned initially Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Boy, if you're not aware of that, you haven't been paying attention. 2 Timothy 4.3 is crystal clear about this desire. You don't want sound doctrine. Charles Swindoll, writing about the word endure, says it means to be patient with in the sense of enduring possible difficulty. The idea, Swindoll says, is that they find the truth of God to be so torturous to their sinful desire that they must endure it in the same manner Christians must endure hardship. End of quote. Can you imagine that? Listening to sound doctrine for those people I just read about in 2 Timothy 4, 3, to them it is like what Christians who endure affliction must endure. People who equate sound doctrine to hardship or affliction are not in the family of God. You say, how do you know that? Why would you say that? Why would you make that indictment? That people do not endure sound doctrine. They don't want it. It's torturous to them. How could you say they're not in the family of God? Because people in the family of God love the word of God. Amen. Psalm 119.97 says this. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. People who know the God of the word love the word of the, the God of the word. This past week, I listened to a man who spoke and, um, during a conference, and he uh, mentioned a pastor. Was, he preached, and he had approached two hours in his sermon, and he said to his people, I've really tested your patience, because he had preached for two hours straight. And so he was going to stop, and the people said, no, 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 keep going. I said, What? That is highly unusual. Two hours and they, no, 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 don't stop preaching. Give us more of the word. Give us more of the word. You know why they were like that? Because they love the law of God. They love the word of God. Let me tell you, when you've been converted, you love God's word. You love to feed on it. It's sweet to you. It's, it's better than refined gold. 
It's what David said. Sweeter than honeycomb. It is your treasure. You delight in it. You meditate in it. You want it. You want to take it in. And you rush to it and read it. And, and it just blesses your heart and your soul. And you see the wonderful things about God. And you go in love of him more and more. Because you've been transformed by the God of the word. Jesus warns about those who don't know the God of the word. The false prophets. They claim to speak for God, but they do not. I've said it already, they populate the airways. And they write books that are clearly not from the Lord. The first heading here is warning. Warning, verse 15. Jesus had just offered to the unregenerate in his audience salvation. He had said there in verse 13 of Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate. And then he said in verse 14, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. He summoned them to enter the kingdom of heaven. He had been preaching here in the Sermon on the Mount and he had come to the point in those verses I just read where he's inviting them to come to the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. The spiritual realm of salvation. How would they enter? By trusting him as Savior and Messiah. And once this initial act has transpired, they would be in the narrow way. The path of the godly on their way to their final destination, heaven. So Jesus uh, invited them. But after doing that, Jesus comes here in verse 15 and he says, Beware of the false prophets. Here he warned that there are those who offer an alternative to the truth of salvation that he presents in the Sermon on the Mount. Can you imagine that? There are those who say, oh, no, 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 it's not all that. That narrow gate, and it's not all that, uh, the narrow way, you don't have to do that. Jesus said, oh, beware of false prophets. Because they're ones who don't want you to believe the truth. In fact, when the truth is uh, disseminated, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, Jesus gives us some insight about the realities that go on when divine truth is disseminated and what happens when Satan or his minions are on the scene. Matthew 13, verse 19, he says this, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Stop there. When people hear the truth of the gospel, the kingdom, the truth from God, guess what? The evil one, that's another name for Satan, he comes along and then snatches it from the heart. He doesn't want them to believe. Satan, we might say he's the anti-evangelist. We who know the Lord, we give the Lord's word as Jesus and the apostles and true prophets and other saints have. And then here comes along Satan and says, oh, no, 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 let me take that word away. Because Satan doesn't want them saved. So he snatches it from the one who's heard it. What it teaches. 
and want them to believe the word of the kingdom. And you say, wow, how on earth does he do this? Um, that's a good question. How does he snatch away the word? I'm going to tell you how he does it. Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. Jesus here pronounces woe upon those who, uh, who are religious, but they're hypocrites. Um, they're religious leaders. They were known in the nation of Israel. They're called scribes and Pharisees. And this is how they do it. They're Satan's minions. They're Satan's uh, agents. Matthew 23, 13 says this, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You see that? They're operating against Jesus, operating against the truth. These Pharisees were religious people who were keeping people out by their false ways of salvation and living. That's why Jesus pronounced a curse on them. The woe is a curse, a divine curse on people who will keep other people from going into the kingdom, being saved. God will put a curse on them. That's how Satan snatches the word. That's how he keeps people from the truth. The Pharisees taught self-righteousness. Oh, you know what? You just got to work your way in. You just got to be good. Do good. You can get in. It's a lie. That's what they tell. Their goal, and Satan's goal, is to damn a people to eternal hell. You have to know that. This is serious stuff. People are going to be in hell forever because they bought a lie. That's why Jesus said, beware of false, beware of false prophets. Hold the mind away from them. Be on the guard against them. Do not expose your mind to them. They're corrupting. They pervert the word of God and they'll pervert your mind and poison your soul. Stay away from them. Don't be open-minded. Well, he claims to follow Christ. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter what they claim. We'll talk about it in a moment. In fact, when Jesus said, beware, here in Matthew 7, 15, beware, that word beware is an imperative. That is a command. This is a standing order for believers. Believers are, are to be constantly obedient to this. Skies are dangerous. Dangerous. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, the Apostle Paul says they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. And those enemies of the cross of Christ, they were telling people you have to depend on your works to save you. In fact, the, the Bible is so clear and God's call is so uh, manifestly clear and stark. The words he uses aren't uh, words of uh, kumbaya. He so said, let's, let's, let's just, let's just uh, kind of um, talk about it. 
No, 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 no. Galatians chapter 1 is what I'm referring to. Paul, when he wrote Galatians, he, he understood that this was going on. These false teachers had infiltrated that church, and so he had to address it here. They were teaching a false gospel. And in verse 6 of Galatians 1, Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. You get it? You hear, Paul? I'm amazed. Did you desert him who called you? God called you and you're deserting him for a different gospel? A gospel different from the one you've heard? Paul says in verse 7, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ, and they were doing that. They were deserting the Lord. They were deserting him who had called them by grace and said, you come and now you pursue works righteousness. And Paul says this, listen to these words. This is how serious this is, false teachers, how serious God takes us. But even if we, hypothetically speaking, are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. That word means to be devoted, the word accursed, devoted to eternal damnation. Verse 9, as we have said before, I say it again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be anathematized, devoted to destruction, eternal damnation. That's how serious, serious this issue is. The gospel, the true gospel, the true way of salvation, the church. Satan and false teachers love to corrupt the church so they preach a false gospel. A gospel that turns the grace of God into a means of uh, trying to earn salvation. Rather than grace, you have to work for it. False teachers distort the truth. It's a serious error. Serious error. Well, Jesus said, beware of them. Beware of them. Now, in verse 15, he says, they come to you in sheep's clothing. False prophets do not come signaling their evil intention. They do not come into a church and say, guess what, guys? I'm glad to be here. Oh, by the way, I want to let you know, I don't believe the truth. I'm here to deceive you. Jude 4 says they crept in unnoticed. Ancient false prophets wore the garments of true prophets. False prophets, the teachers today, are like them. They just impersonate shepherds. They impersonate pastors. They say, I'm Pastor so-and-so. I'm Reverend Dr. So-and-so. I'm right Reverend Dr. So-and-so. Oh, yes. They, they proliferate the titles and all of the rest of this sort of thing. And they're liars. The external appearance of sheep's clothing does not correspond to who they really are internally. You notice Jesus said, but in, inwardly are ravenous wolves. 
Ravenous translates the Greek term harpax, which is rendered swindler in Luke 18, 11, in 1 Corinthians 5, 10, and 11, and 1 Corinthians 6, verse 10, swindler. Metaphorically, the word ravenous refers to a person who ravages a person of his money and possessions. That's what they're all about. They want your money. They're out to take it out of your wallet, out of your checkbook, off your debit card. And they don't care about you. Second Peter 2, 3 says, In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They make up stuff. I remember I was talking to somebody about a week or so ago. Uh, I was talking about um, a, um, a false teacher back in the 80s. It, was, it came out, the Charlotte Observer, it's a newspaper, exposed him. And this friend of mine and I, we were driving back from Chicago. And we had a little debate. I, I sided with uh, what I thought was right, and he sided with what he thought was right. He thought with this exposure of this particular false teacher who's well-known, who had a wife, and uh, they were on TV, and they liked to praise the Lord. Do y'all know who I'm talking about? <laughs> and my friend said, no, no, that's the devil. I I'm going to send him some money to shut up the devil. I said, I don't think so. I wouldn't have given him 10 cents if that was all the money left in the world. I just knew, and I wasn't a great theologian, but I knew at this particular point that this guy is not right. They exploit you, make up words. They talk about how much money they need. I mean, you've got to put the air conditioner in the, the uh, doghouse. That happened. They're, they're like this. And they'll smile at you on television and tell you, live your best life now. Uh-uh. If this is my best life, oh my goodness. <laughs> my best life, I'm looking forward to heaven. Amen. Don't be deceived by wolves in sheep clothing. Wolves were the natural predators of sheep. When a wolf would see a sheep, he would tear it. He would devour it. And that is why Jesus used that terminology. These people who lived in that world understood that wolves and sheep were not friends. Wolves would devour sheep. Sheep, God's people, that's what they do. They'll rip you up, take from you. All for their own profit. They're greedy. They're wicked. Inwardly, they, you can't know inwardly what they're like. Inwardly, internally, that's what they are in their heart. Ravenous wolves ready to rip you off. Spiritual predators. And the word of God warns us. Jesus is warning us. Listen to Jesus. Then he uses an agricultural illustration to further his point, he calls it identification. Nah, that's what I call it. That's my heading. He says, you will know them by their fruits. He assures us that we will be able to recognize them. In fact, the Greek 
construction of these words here in verse 16 you will know them by their fruits is emphatic about our ability to ID these false prophets by their fruits we're not simply to accept a man's profession of faith he says oh I'm uh, reverend so and so I'm pastor I'm shepherd I, I follow Christ we're to look for fruit you say, well, brother, isn't that judging? Did not Jesus say, don't judge lest you be judged? He, he said we're not to be harsh, critical, uh, and judging. That's a different kind of judgment. Here he's not talking about that. He's saying this. Uh, we can be and should be fruit inspectors. And I'm going to tell you something. Think about this. Jesus says by their fruits. He didn't say by, as it says in verse 22 of Matthew 7, he didn't say by their prophesying, their exorcisms, casting out demons, or their miracles. He didn't say that. He said, don't look for those. When we get to that text, we'll explain why you can't accept those things as their bona fides. He said, look for their fruit. And in this passage here, in verse 16, fruits, plural, character, character. It's the first thing we'll take. Look for their character. Fruit uh, can include words and deeds. There needs to be the evidence of a spiritually transformed life. When the people, a group of folk came to John the Baptist and said, what do we do? Because he's preaching repentance. And he told them Luke chapter 3, verses 18 through 14. Repentance. And in the context here, which is a sermon on the mount, the truths about righteousness in practical terms. That's what you want to see. You want to inspect, see, do I see righteousness that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount and that is also explicated elsewhere in the New Testament as the, the truths are unfolded by the writers of the rest of the New Testament? Is this man a beatitude man? Do you see the beatitudes there lived out? Is there the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. Philippians 1, 11, filled with the fruits of righteousness which come by Jesus Christ. Righteousness ought to be there. Righteous living. Godly living. Is there a maturity in this man? First uh, Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7. And maturity there, spiritual maturity is godliness. character it's what you want to look for next thing is creed what they believe this is critical is he orthodox um, sometimes they won't tell you what they don't believe they do that because they don't want you to know that they don't believe what you believe because that's part of their way to deceive. But you want to ask uh, when? No. Because anybody can say, I believe in God. 
I want to know who's the God you say, claim to believe in? Is it the God who reveals himself as triune, the Trinity? Where do you stand concerning the nature of God? Do you believe he's God triune? So find out. The deity of Christ. Do they believe that he's God in human flesh? Do they believe that when he came here, the text was read earlier this morning from First Timothy, First John four. Do they do they believe that he is fully God and fully man? Do they believe in the virgin birth? Do you believe that he had no human father? Do they believe in salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone? Put it differently, do they believe in justification by faith alone? Not justification by faith, plus I got to get baptized, plus I have to do this, plus I have to do the other. No, 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 faith alone. Do they believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ from the dead? Some years ago, probably 20 years ago now, I was sitting here in the study on a Friday evening. It was um, about 4.30 or so. A young man comes in, and I didn't know him from Adam nor his son Abel. And he was upset. I was younger then, so I didn't think anything he was going to hurt me. I just knew he was upset about something. And he sat down and wanted to talk to me. And he told me about a church that he was going to. It's a Catholic church. And he said the priest told him that Jesus is not coming back physically. He just comes into our hearts. That's the only coming. And he was quite hot about that. Rightly so. Because that's false teaching. That's what false teachers say. They say that he is not coming. Again, where is the promise of his coming? Second Peter 3. You want to know, what does this guy believe about this? Check out his life. Check out his doctrine. There is a man and his wife in our church a few years ago. And they moved away and they were looking for a church. <laughs> and at the end of the service, he wanted to know, he asked the pastor, I want to see your doctrinal statement. He said, good. Find out what these people believe. He wouldn't expose his family to a church where there's false teaching. There is an orthodoxy. It was a right thing to do. So you have to know. Jesus said by their fruits. See, look at their, check out their fruits. And then Jesus elaborates here in verse 16. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? A false teacher cannot produce fruit that is not of his nature. 
A true follower of Christ and a false follower of Christ are as different in nature as is what Jesus talks about here. Grapes, grapevine and thorn bushes and figs. Radically different. Radically different. And so Jesus continues in verse 17, so every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A person who belongs to Christ is the person who is represented by the good tree. He will produce godly fruit. The actions and attitudes of the Sermon on the Mount and other evidences of a redeemed life in the New Testament. We just addressed that. That's what the good tree does. That's what a person who really belongs to Christ, a true spokesman of his, a true Christian, in fact, will do. Verse 17, but the bad tree, representing false prophets and false teachers and all false believers, cannot produce anything but bad fruit. It can't happen. Back up in verse 15, you notice something Jesus said inwardly. The reality is it starts in the heart. Godly fruit bearing begins in the heart. In verse 18, every tree that does not bear good fruit, uh, verse 18, every, a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Hmm. Nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Two different terms translates the word bad in this verse. The first bad refers to that which is diseased, rotten. What our Lord is saying here is that a good tree, a true prophet of God, or a true believer, cannot produce diseased, rotten fruit. It's impossible for him or her, whomever, to have an ungodly character. A true prophet cannot be the source of evil fruit because of his positive spiritual and moral condition. He has been transformed by the grace of God. So we can't do that. The second bad is the here in this verse, it says, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. The second bad is the normal word for evil, paneros. The bad tree represents the false prophet. They can't produce good fruit. So when you're inspecting them, you won't find good fruit. You won't find good character. You won't find their true cre- the truth about who they, uh, what they believe. You'll find out the opposite. It's a- evil fruit is in their character and creed. So that's what you will find when you inspect them. You'll find evil in their living. And in their teaching. In fact, you can uh, Second Peter. You can read that uh, epistle. He delineates in Second Peter two. These guys. Jude does the same thing. 
Jesus talks about them in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. False teachers. You can find out what they're like. Let's skip to verse 20. So then you will know them by their fruits. Jesus repeats this assurance that we will recognize them by their conduct and creed. I know you're asking the question, why on earth, since these guys are horrible, terrible, and they're dangerous to the church and dangerous to people's souls, uh, why does God allow false teachers to exist? Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. I'm not going to turn there, but I'm going to tell you uh, one of the reasons is they served as a test of Israel's love for God. You see, when a false prophet would come along, he would uh, counsel abandoning God, rebellion. And God would use that to determine, ah, do you really love me or not? If you love me, you will not listen to the false prophet. If you, if you love me, you will say no to them, even if they do a miracle. It tests, it surfaces what's in the heart, where one's allegiance lies. You can follow God or false prophet. In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19, Paul said, there must be factions among you. That church was divided. There's a group of people who were dividing the church. And the false teachers drew away false converts. In their division, those who were not for real would follow those dividers. They'd go with them. And what God would do in the church, he would allow that to happen so it would protect the true converts from those false ones who would influence them wrongly. Sometimes people don't recognize that. So we've been warned. Don't just accept anybody. When you're sitting around, you say you're surfing. And you come to uh, some stuff on those Christian television stations. Don't just, oh, that's a brother or sister in Christ. Don't conclude that automatically. Listen to what they're teaching. for a moment best just stay away from it I one evening I was uh, sitting and I, I watched one of these uh, Christian TV channels and um, I guess it was Trinity Broadcasting and the man and his wife were interviewing this pastor I know this pastor I know he knows sound doctrine this man and his wife began to talk and they were talking and as they did the wife started giving this story about her spiritual experience that she had with God while she's sitting in a booth in a restaurant and I was thinking to myself this is the nuttiest story I've ever heard in my life I said this is crazy 
And there are people listening to this thinking, oh, I said, no, that's crazy. Crazy talk. Fortunately, this pastor who knew the word of God, I knew he did. I was wondering, brother, you got to deal with this. And he did. He explained about heaven, told the truth, and contradicted what this lady was saying. I said, thank God he was there. And for the people listening could hear sound doctrine from this pastor whom I know was teaching sound doctrine and does. That's kind of nonsense you'll hear. Let me tell you people, you got to know the word of God. You better know this word. You better study. You, you don't go to the Bible looking for some goosebumps. You get a Bible verse today or keep the devil away. No, you need to get in the word of God and know what it's saying. So that when you hear nonsense, you immediately know that's not what the scripture says. Jesus warned us, we'll know them by your fruits. You can't know the fruits if you don't know what to look for. Identification, we've seen that. Now judgment, verse 19. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Fire is frequently used to describe eternal punishment in the New Testament. We see it in Matthew 3.10, Matthew 5.22. Jesus calls it fiery hell. He refers to it as, he uses the term Gehenna. Matthew 3. So serious this is. 3.12, speaking of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist says, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn. Wheat represents believers, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Unquenchable fire, supernatural fire, fire of the lake of fire, hell, the final hell. That's the reality. And that applies to false teachers, false prophets. In fact, Second Peter 2, 1 says that they bring swift destruction upon themselves. Jude 13 says, for when, whom the black darkness has been reserved... how serious it is. Um, God does not play. He doesn't play with sin. He hates it. He's holy. He will not play with people who will pervert his word. Lie about him. He will judge them. And he's going to do so. Um, he's promised to do so. Hmm. Now I want to uh, share something with you. As I conclude. What should you do in addition to what we've already seen? In Jude chapter, uh, Jude 17 rather. Jude 17. This is book is about uh, protecting yourself and knowing what um, false teachers will do and 
how to help others. I just want to pull out something particular you can apply for your own life. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you, in the last times there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. They don't possess the Holy Spirit. Understand these mockers who deny the Word of God. They follow after ungodly lusts, their sinful lusts. They think on natural things, not eternal things. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're unsaved. And in contrast to them, this is what we do, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. You get that? You are to be about the business as individual believers, building yourself up on your faith, the Christian faith. You have to be in the word of God. Building yourself up in the word. Why is that important? You need to know divine truth. You need to know the Christian faith. Because the more you know, the better able you are to, to discern when you hear something that's nuts. It's not from the word of God. That's a distortion of the word of God. It's a perversion of the word of God. You have to know the book. Or you'll get suckered. And I'm going to tell you something. In this country, you can go to Christian bookstores and they're indiscriminate as to what they sell. You can buy some junk there that is not based on sound exegesis or theology and walk out of there thinking you got something that's going to help you spiritually and it's nothing but spiritual junk. But you're not going to know that if you don't know this book. Building yourself up, yourselves up on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. That is not praying in tongues. Don't think that. That's nonsense. That's not it at all. Praying in the Holy Spirit is praying according to the will of the Spirit. How do you know what the will of the Spirit is in the Word of God? That's how you know. Verse 21, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Oh, how do you keep yourself in the love of God? Simple, obeying him. Obey him. Be faithful in living out the Christian life. And then it says, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life what he is telling us here you're looking you're eagerly waiting for the coming of Christ to come and take us 
to himself in heaven that we may experience. When it says eternal life, not that you don't have it already, but that you may experience it to its full. When we're in heaven, we'll experience the fullness of the eternal life that God gave us the moment we believed on his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking forward to. And you know what a good thing about this is? We won't have to worry about false prophets ever again. We'll be done with that forever. But until then, do some food inspecting. Build yourself up. Do the things that God calls us to do. And as you do, you'll be being obedient to him, pleasing him, and serving him. If you agree with me, say amen. amen. All right. Since you agree with it, do it. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for provided what we need to know so that we don't um, we won't be deceived build your people up here to continue to study and know your word engage in their minds and hearts to understand your truths and we walk in victory over those who would seek to deceive us, harm us. Thank you for your truth. The work of the Spirit of God in us that illumines our minds that we can grasp the truth and apply it to our walk. Lord, uh, we pray for anyone here who is not a believer. May they believe the lies of some false teacher and they're not in the family of God. We pray you save them. Perhaps they never heard of one, but they've just never believed the truth. They've been blinded by Satan, the God of this world. It's blinded their minds to the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Open their eyes that they may see, behold his glory, his redemptive work on the cross and his triumphant resurrection that they will receive him as Lord and Savior. Pray you do these things for your own glory and their good. We trust you to work among us that we might be a faithful people. People who take seriously your word and living for Christ. For you do. And I pray for everyone who names your name, they'll depart from evil. They'll do what is pleasing in your sight and seek to honor you all the days that you give them to live on this planet. Accomplish it all for your glory and praise. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.